Hello, and welcome to the Fearless Storyteller Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Freckleton. Have you ever noticed how fear stops us from creating and sharing our best work? Join the Fearless Storyteller as we explore the heart and soul of writing stories, songs, and scripts that sell with the people who write them. Each guest has their own unique hero's journey and insights into the intersections between limiting beliefs and success. I first met Richard Harris several years ago in Kauai at a small music conference. At the time, I was struck by how open and generous he was with his spirit, and genuinely joyful about the creative process he was. These days, Richard is a number one Billboard songwriter, producer, as well as being a mentor. Richard Harris, welcome to the Fearless Storyteller podcast. Hi, it's good to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, it's been a pleasure. It's been a while since we've had a chance to connect. Um, yeah, too long, probably. Yeah. So for the audience who maybe aren't familiar with you, and in fact, we've got a lot of authors and maybe screenwriters listening as well, uh-huh. you tell people about yourself and what you do. Well, I'm a, I'm a British songwriter and producer that to move to the LA to to the LA to LA um 17 years ago um and uh I'm not the actor which might be some of the screenwriters think oh he's come back from the dead but <laughs> I'm not the actor so I'm not the uh, a Dumbledore that was in the first two episodes of Harry Potter uh, not a junior either yeah, not a junior either although I you know funny side story I actually I met him when I was a kid because my uh, father actually scored two pictures for uh, Richard Harris. Oh, so, no kidding. So, yeah, so that was an interesting side note. Um, so, songwriter and producer, uh, born and bred in London, uh, England, uh, where I kind of cut my teeth as a writer and, and a producer. I built two studios there. Mm. And, and uh, the band kind of got close to getting signed, but we just didn't get there. Um, and uh, so, I decided to kind of like cut loose the artist thing and, and move to the US. And, um, so, and that was 17 years ago on a bit of a wing and a prayer. So, uh, so, you know, I'm very, very fortunate that, uh, I get to do this for a living now. And, and, um, so I've had some very good luck along the way and I threw a lot of hard work obviously as well, but, um, yes, songwriter producer based out of my house, got a studio in the house in Los Angeles and signed to peer music here in LA. Right on. Yeah. And there, there's a lot there to unpack. Mm-hmm. Like, I think the first one that jumps out for me is that your father did movie scores. So yeah. it's like there was a musical or technical inclination there in the creative space. Oh yeah. I mean, my dad is, is probably the biggest influence on my life as a, as a musician and as mm. a, as a writer. And he, mm. he, I'm fifth generation actually fourth generation musician my grandfather was a musician my great-grandfather was a musician so it was kind of preordained i think and and set in the dna that something musical was going to happen with me and my my fellow sisters and brothers and most of us ended up in the business believe it or not so yeah so my dad had an amazing career as as a, a trumpet player and went to guildhall school of music in london and played for the royal opera and then went into arranging and, and and producing and arranged for and produced for acts like Pat Clark, Tom Jones, Shirley Bassey. I mean, Sammy Davis, wow. yeah, Paul Anker. I mean, the, the list goes on. Dinah Ross, 
I mean, he worked with he's worked with so many people. So I spent a lot of time in studios as a kid. My dad was be always have session dates doing mm -hmm. records, and so I I kind of grew up in studios and on the road a bit as well because my dad would tour so i'd go with him in my summer vacation so uh i kind of fell in love with the life really i think just being around musicians and being in studios just i just loved everything about it there was so much fun and and there was the, these the people i just had the most amazing characters so yeah i i think that kind of just set the tone really for me and uh so yeah that's that's kind of where it set the path for me in, in the beginning that's awesome. And did they let you play around with, with equipment or instruments they, in the studio? Yeah, they did. I mean, you know, it obviously depending on what instrument it was, I always kind of warmed to the drum kit as a boy because I just loved the noise. But, oh, yeah. And uh, the drummer was so fantastic. Actually, the guy was a guy called Alan White who, who ended up playing with Yes and yeah, he lives. He lives down the road, kind of. <laughs> oh, really? Well, there you go. Yeah, Alan was uh, was very kind. Between when during breaks, he would let me get jump on his kit and just thrash the hell out of it. So it's awesome. And my dad wanted me to kind of learn drums uh, in the beginning because he really wanted me to kind of get a sense of rhythm and timing. And mm. he said, you know, you can move on to other instruments after. He said, but the grounding you'll get from being able to play drums and feel beat he said it will will make a hell of a lot of difference to you as a, as a player depending on where you when you where you move on from there you know yeah it's definitely a nice start yeah. and and added bonus for math you can count to four and six and and do division and it is actually you know one of my best math classes was playing darts in the pub believe it or not so <laughs> here you go no says don't, don't don't let the kids do that bit though that's the other one thing I no think. apparently my uh yeah well that's that's a good way um yeah. <clears throat> hopefully you're practicing addition and not subtraction yes and so sounds like you had this really organic lovely introduction to music and getting yeah. into it and it just kind of happened and the the other piece that jumped out in kind of your story about yourself there early on is letting go of the artist thing uh-huh um and i know it's been 17 years but do you want to talk about that a little bit yeah it, it was I kind of got into the artist. I kind of started in the artist thing by an accident. I never really saw myself as a as an artist. I just, I just wanted to write music. I mean, I played in orchestra. I played trumpet and French horn and piano, and, hmm. and uh, I, uh, but I really got, I had an early desire to write music, write songs, hmm. and um, but I never saw myself as a singer. And and some people probably still think that actually but i was i gonna i did some i did a recording and uh, and it was to record a song to, to and this is i'm talking about when i was like 18 19 i think and uh, I, I recorded a song and i sang it and it got this 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 reaction that was nothing that i expected because i didn't think i i could sing that well mm. and um but i had a kind of tone that people liked i suppose and it and it's kind of set set that wheel in motion so i i kind of fell into it through no desire at all to be an artist in the beginning i didn't really see that as my path and and but it you know it happened and and uh, and it took several years before i plucked up the courage to jump on a stage and mm. and eventually i you know put a band together with a friend a good friend of mine and and um 
and so I, I you know it was a band band it was like four guys and we did a bit of touring and and uh, we did obviously lots of dates around london and and we when we got super close we came out and played some uh, showcases in la mm. and we got close with you know electra came along and saw us hollywood records were interested but they needed us to move to la and I think the desire at that point with the band, we'd been together a while and I think we were pretty much on our last legs at that point. Right. And it just was one step too far for us all. I was keen on doing it, but I was very lucky. I had family here, so it wouldn't have been such a difficult jump for me, but for the rest of the guys, it was just too much. And, and so that kind of set the nail in the coffin for the band. And, and so we, we broke up not long after that, and I was running this studio that I'd built in Chiswick, which is in West London. Hmm. And, uh, and, and during that visit to LA with the band, I just kind of fell in love with the idea of moving to LA. And I'd never really had that desire before, which is funny because I'd been here so many times. My dad moved here when I was a kid, when I was 11. So hmm. I'd been backwards and forwards to the States so many times. It was like a second home. But I loved London with a passion, and I, I never saw myself leaving it, to be honest with you. Hmm. That particular visit, I just there was something that kind of spoke to me. And, and so I thought, you know, the band's broken up. I think the studio is suffering a little bit. And... Uh, and and my broken up with my girlfriend so kind of all things led you know west really mm. and uh, so i i and at that point i made the decision i i could continue with the artist thing or i could realize that the chances of somebody in their you know their late 30s it was probably not gonna get signed at this point and um and this was back in the day before social media and and um the MySpace and all that and, uh, well MySpace came along but it was all it was all way after i decided against it and i think you know this idea that you have to be you know 16 to be an artist these days i think has changed certainly from when i was making that decision to move away from the artist thing um, because I think you can find your audience and a lot of audience pe people don't care. They just want to hear great music. And right. if you want to be in a record, if you want to be signed by a record label, you know, forget it if you're over the age of 30, I think really. But, um, uh, and that, you know, that I'm sure there's plenty of uh, examples to prove me wrong in that case, but uh, it's very, very rare. So I didn't want to take my eye off the ball a little bit in terms of what my, my plan was. It was to move to LA and, and really, focusing on the songwriting and, and composing mm. and i think if i by moving to another country and trying to reboot an artist as a solo artist or a band it just would have taken so much time and effort and i decided that was just too much i i think it was something that i, I felt would have dragged me away from really concentrating on getting the writing right and and building up a network where i could mm eventually make it to you know to becoming a you know professional writer in terms of getting a publishing deal and all those sorts of things so it was a tough decision to make because i loved performing live i loved that part of it and uh, and i still miss it to this day if i go to a show and i see a band or a, an artist that i love and they're having such a great time on stage i'm thinking i remember how that felt mm -hmm. performing and uh, so yeah i miss I, I miss it but it was the right decision to make at the time yeah I totally get that feeling. There's 
it's, it's a pretty magical experience, right? To to be there in sync with a band and oh yeah, people and using your your body and your voice as like this conduit. Oh yeah, it's and that's that's that is right there that's what that's all about some people overthink performing i think they just need to let their body set, set itself free and let the music drive everything and uh, that's where true performance come from because it they react to the music like the audience does and and that's when you become one thing really so it's right a- and so can you can you talk about the relationship maybe between the lyric and the performance well, it depends on what, you know, it depends on who's writing the lyric, I suppose. I mean, you look, you, at the end of the day, as a performer, you've got to be able to connect to the story that you're telling. Mm. I think if you're the, the singer, uh, and there's, there's been few singers over the, you know, the past decades that really are able to connect to a lyric that's not been written by them and emote what's going on. And um, they're few and far between, I think, really. Mm. But, um I think it's important that performers have a connection to that lyrical content or at least the emotion of the lyrical content and how the music is attached to that, you know, melodically. Mm. Uh, I think that's, it's important. I mean, you know, when we get, get down to the brass tacks of it, really performing is, 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 is much about the audience as, as about yourself as an artist. It's all about that connection and and i think you find a way into that by connecting to the lyric or certainly the emotion of the lyric and obviously the 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 drive of the music because it's so loud on stage and you've got a lot of bodies around you know pumping out all this energy and uh, and letting go i think you know the hardest part for all performers when they first get started is this self-conscious everybody's looking at me am i doing something stupid you know have i sung the right note have mm-hmm. i sung the right word and i think the easiest way to learn how to perform is to forget all of that and just right. let go and enjoy and if you make a mistake who cares you know it really is not you're not making a record at that point and even then you can make a mistake and go back and fix it but um you know i think that's why artists that always seem to connect um mm. the other ones that are able to do that you know it's like dive into that dive into that zone that just takes them on a journey and and then everybody feels it and lyric obviously is part of all of that but i think you know it's it's the music it's the energy of the room it's how you let go and uh, and just you know jump into that uh, to that void and 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 not be too worried about what happens so is there is there a parallel between that process of letting go on the stage mm-hmm. and letting go when you're writing a lyric or finding the, that seed of the idea? I think so. I think, you know, look, I mean, there's there's two very essential parts of writing songs. And, and, and I'm a melody guy and, and, and chord guy, harmony guy. I do a lot of lyric, but um, lyric is, is not my, I would say, my strongest forte. Mm. um i i think when you're when you're starting writing and you know we this this job of writing is interesting because it it is that blank page and it can be quite sterile in the beginning Mm. 
Um, and especially if you're in a room with people that you've just met that morning, mm-hmm. and, uh, you're unlikely to meet them again because they leave town the next day. So, you know, you you do have to kind of have that moment of just letting go. You have to be, and that comes with experience. Um, it takes a little while to get that confident to be able to reveal yourself and your emotions as quickly as that. And, uh, and I think, but that's where, that's where that inspiration comes from the inspired sparks that you need to write something. Look, you can say, we're going to write about, you know, um, uh, coffee pots today. And, and then we'll write a song about coffee, coffee pots because we're all cr- good at craft and, and mm-hmm. we eventually, you know, churg out a song that's talks about how great this coffee pot is and how wonderfully well it keeps the coffee hot. But it has no emotional connection and so right. inspired start. So, uh, so, so I think, you know, those, that letting go part is very, very important. And it's also as much an important part of keeping the flow going because I think, you know, people get wrapped up in judgment too early, mm. editing too early in the songwriting process. You know, it's all about that inspired We've got an idea. Roll with it. Roll with it. Roll with it. Don't shut people down. Don't tell them that's a bad idea or it's a you know anything. Just keep the ideas flowing, and that just helps you kind of work your way into that that moment where everybody's just firing on all cylinders, and then you can go back and do that editing part and the craft bit, which is a little bit more mechanical, where you're just you know editing and. Re- reviewing seeing if the rhyming scheme works if the phrasing's right how does that fit the melody you know we've got great lyric but it doesn't sing particularly well right. the so, craft comes in right comes in yeah so but yes to answer your question you definitely need to have that right and so you, you brought up collaboration and, and co-writing and i i know this is like a minefield for like mindset issues and yeah and fear and doubt and imposter syndrome to cross crop up. Right. Always. Yeah. And like you talk about how you deal with that. Oh, Lordy. Um, I, yeah, well, you just, you have, you have to somehow, I think you've got to be really careful. And I've been guilty of this in the past. I think you're fearful that you're just not going to be on that day. Mm-hmm you know, and that day will happen and it happens more regularly than, you know, most professional writers probably give away, but you know, you do, you have days when it just, there's nothing. It's just, mm-hmm. there is something, there's always something, but it's, it's just doesn't feel like it's anything. Right. And um, a lot of that's all about chemistry and how people are reacting to you. And, and you do find writers that come in and do shut you down. And, and I think, that then feeds into that fear and that imposter syndrome thing. And, mm-hmm. and you've got a, you've got choices to make at that point. You either take a break, walk away, get outside, go make a cup of tea, a cup of coffee, take a drink of something, yeah, a sandwich and just, and just reset. Because if you kind of get caught up in your head too much about these things, 
it will shut you down and i've let it do it to me sometimes and i just end up the quietest person in the room mm. and and uh, and uh, then you then you just and then it doesn't serve anybody to be very honest with you and and you just end up with you know a co-write which basically has got a song but as you know it's pretty much going nowhere right so i think you've got to find your mechanics to get out of those those places i go into every session with a certain level of fear I don't try and beat it back because I feel it helps me, feeds me in terms of making me step up even more than I probably would do. Uh, that sounds weird, but um, it can be a motivator in terms of making sure that you're on your A game. And, uh, and, and I try to view every session as, and I try and bring it up at some point, is that the, the most important person in the room is always the song. Mm. You know, the, the ideas are not, um, ideas are good and some ideas are great and some ideas are terrible, um, but they're all ideas and they're all valid because a terrible idea can A, clear the channel for a good idea and, and sometimes can bounce that terrible idea into something new that becomes a great idea. Right, and it's kind of associative thinking. Yeah, it's thing. like... And just, and I think if you work with the right writers and you find your trusted writers yeah. who will allow you to be dreadful and, yeah. and, and give you the opportunity to just continue throwing out ideas, feeding into the system. And also you through that, you get motivated and you, the fear then goes away because all of a sudden you're supported by people, you know? So I think it's, um, I think, you know, the, the fear thing is can be a motivator as long as you use it to the positive mm -hmm. and, um, and you don't get too wrapped up in your head. And just remember that song is the most important thing because at the end of the day it is. And it helps remove people's egos from the, the room to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. you're not arguing against a person, you're arguing for the benefit of the song. And, and again, that can still be a battle. Um, right. But it, um, but you know, you can then agree to disagree and say, well, look, you know, let's see where the song goes from here. If that melody works and it's, it leads somewhere and it's hooky enough, then then we should run with it. You know, yeah. and sometimes that's the way to do it. But yeah, fear can be a big part of it. Um, but you just have to go in there and believe that you have ideas. You have ideas and you have good ideas and you'll have bad ideas. But you just one day it'll work and one day it won't. I mean. Yeah. You know that the most successful writers on the planet are writing, you know, hundreds of songs a year, and most of them don't ever get recorded. And right. like a hit songwriter can have one hit out of five hundred songs. Oh, absolutely. We celebrate uh, them, right? Yeah, absolutely. And they continue to write terrible songs or semi, you know, semi-average type songs, right? Because that's part of the process as well. You know, you just. You just have to keep the muscle moving and clear the sluices open so the good songs can come through. So I imagine, you know, like there's that time when you like finish a song and you're buzzing because, you know, you felt something in it, right? And it clicked. And that may not necessarily mean that it goes anywhere. Right. And I guess where I'm going with that is like, is it your job to judge the song? I think judgment comes well. It will. It's a tough one. That one. I think it depends on where it comes. It comes in. At the end, you can look back and you can judge things and you can and review. I think sometimes you have to let days go past to kind of give you that 
sort of um, clearer vision so you're not so attached to it and yes when you come out of a writing session you've written a song there's a certain level of accomplishment that makes you kind of feel great you're buzzed you know you, you everything's running on hyperdrive but then you can go back two or three days later and go yeah there's something there that's not quite right yeah and and that's and that's i don't know if that that is judgment but i don't want it to sound like as 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 dreadful as judging sounds because i think judging things too early can create all sorts of problems for writers mm -hmm. uh, but there's nothing wrong with trusting your gut instinct and that's something that i've learned to trust over the years and i i i listen to it way more than anything else and that's when i have a niggle in my belly and it's saying to me that doesn't seem right there's something about that that doesn't feel right to me at this point right. and that's i suppose it's a different word for judging however it feels better to try to talk about it as this gut instinct and i and i listen to it a lot and it's 99.9 percent .9 right and it could be sometimes when i'm doing a production or building a track up or whatever and i just know there's something not right and i could let it go mm-hmm and I don't. I, I always go back in and, 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 and dig deeper and just find something. That doesn't mean to say I'm going to shut it down. It's actually I'm encouraging myself right. to, to go further in and just see if there is something missing that's not giving me the feels after that kind of time away from it, really. And, and are you looking at that from a writer lens at that point or kind of a produ production angle? Both actually, to be honest with you, it depends. I, I think it's, you know, the producing side of it really can be, and producing can also be as much about the arrangement as well mm -hmm. and, uh, and the flow of the song. Um, but yeah, no, I'm, I think they're two separate things. I, I don't conflate production in terms of, you know, how the song sounds, um, necessarily the same as songwriting in terms of top line writing um but it's just as important if you're doing a harmony and you're building something that people write to and you write to you know but it's i, I deal with them as separate issues really yeah and so rewinding for a moment when you you come into this co-write situation which you know, scares the crap out of a lot of people and, and yeah. rightfully so, you know, yeah. I, I started with the collaboration thing, um, in the Nashville songwriters association. And, right. Wonderful, know, wonderful group people. It is. And, but you, you, you get into that rhythm of being thrown together with people. Right. And it's like dating and there's times when it works and a lot of times when it doesn't work and times when it feels like unpleasant right and because of those things you mentioned a lot of it right the flow and the mindset and shooting down ideas editing too early but the center of that i know that for what what works for me when it's going to work um is one thing that maybe we didn't mention is each co-write may have a different purpose right yeah there, there may be a goal attached to it or somebody who's kind of driving the project, right? Like where yeah. you're, you're either the one who's in charge or kind of the arbitrator or there's somebody else that you're supporting to make the best song. Yeah. And then there's situations every once in a while, and I don't know how frequently for you, probably not as frequently, where 
you haven't discussed roles and you haven't really figured it out and you're all coming in. Yeah. And I think, well, you know, sometimes I think, and I know writers that do do that, you know, where they'll go, you know, what's your strength? You know, what do you feel most comfortable doing? And, mm. and, uh, and I think, you know, especially if you're working with people for the very first time, um, I think it's, it's, it's good to establish people's, you know, comfort zones, really. And it doesn't mean to say if you're a strong lyric writer, you shouldn't have ideas for melody. I think mm. I've heard great lyricists, you know, that don't write a lot of melody come up with amazing melody ideas. So you can't, you know, can't just then count them out for that. Because, again, ideas are ideas are ideas, you know, and it's all part of that creative flow. So um, when I go into a session you know, most of the time now I know what I'm going in for. It's not just some, oh, let's get together and write. Mm -hmm. um, I, I just don't have the time anymore, you know, the, the kind of free time anymore to just be kind of just hang and write. And um, and sometimes I kind of miss that. But most of the, the writing I'm doing these days has got a purpose to it. It's artist-driven generally. Mm -hmm. I'm working with an artist who, uh, you know, has a very strong vision about who they are as an artist, or certainly hope they do, um, and, uh, and, and kind of come in with some of the ideas of subjects that they want to talk about. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and a lot of that is, you know, mate, when you, when you start co-writing, a lot of the time you're not even talking about the song, you're just talking about life and catching mm -hmm. up and, and the stuff that's going on in the news and, and your own personal lives. And that kind of sense tends to feed into what the song becomes at some point. Um, and that interesting, you were saying, you know, with, for me is a, because I produce as, as well as a writer, I, I kind of bounce around in the room a little bit, depending on <clears throat> how the flow is. Mm. You know, sometimes I'll be, you know, very involved in the lyric and the melody writing. And there are other times when the top liners are, are just banging away and I'm, you know, building track and, and suggesting stuff. And also I've been in rooms where I've been with, uh, you know, especially when there's more than three where I've actually had to say to top liners, you have to make a decision about what we're going to do. Mm -hmm. Because if we're going to carry on like this, we're going to have nothing by the end of the day. We've got 500 ideas. We need to start focusing in and narrowing things down. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's worked as well, you know. So, and I think, again, experience, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. And, and I think the more you do this, you start to understand how to refocus your role within the room as it's moving, you know. And, and I think, again, it's always about making sure the flow keeps going. And, and, and you can inject yourself into situations where you feel that you have two egos in the room that are not letting you kind of in. Mm -hmm. and there's, a, there's ways and means of doing that. And, um, and sometimes you can fight it and, and try and figure out a way in, or you can just let it roll and then add to it on support it and let it turn into something that's good. So, you know, there's, there's, there's a million nuances to this, to this gig as it is yeah. for all writers, you know? So, so obviously we, we talked about writing songs and kind of craft and maybe judging songs or trying to tighten them up. Um, have you ever been surprised by a song that, that worked or was successful, like found a home and, made money or got a cut and resonated with an audience? Um, 
Yeah, I suppose, you know, there there are songs. I think it's easy for me to say there are songs that I absolutely adored. Mm. Some of them didn't get cut and some did and did nothing. And 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 those are the songs that I, you know, you that, there's a there's a couple for me and and I, and I won't name them by name, but mm-hmm. there are there's there's a few that I I absolutely adored and I th- felt that their writing was as good as it kind of could be, and it was with a, with great artists and and it just didn't resonate and and there could be a million reasons for that for that as you well know because you know it could be the record label just didn't put enough money into promoting and all sorts of other dominoes that just didn't fall in the right order for it Mm -hmm. to be you know to connect or certainly be noticed um so yeah there's there's songs that are done did well and and they were you know songs that you think well they're good but they're not they're not fabulous written songs and but that's the kind of the, the the world we live in anyway you know i think sometimes it's about you know just being exposed to enough of a song for it to to, to kind of resonate hmm. and um and some of them are, you know some of it's you know mcdonald's and some of it's you know high class steak restaurant <laughs> and uh, you know and and you don't always go to the steak restaurant you tend to eat a lot more fast food than you do good food so and i don't even eat meat so i don't even know why i'm making that analogy but anyway it's that sort of thing there's a lot of consumable f- music that just gets lost and will never be really reborn again um and it's happened through every single decade that i've certainly can remember even back to the good old days when they were saying, "Oh, music was so much better back then," and I just, I, I never, I've never bought into that. Mm. Um, I think there's an amazing amount of great music being made, and there's always the cons- quick, easy, you know, fast food type music that we love yeah. uh, gets us going. But it, do we listen to it in five years' time? Highly unlikely. Yeah. Right. And hey, and now just to be inclusive, there could be fake meat songs that still taste good they could and you know what i'm so glad of all this kind of revolution right now it's kind of it's 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 not just for me but because uh I, i'm not really into just tasting something that used to taste like meat but it does give me options at certain restaurants these days and um and, but also means people are actually eating you know a slightly healthier i hope i you know that's the thing i love when when this is totally off tangent, but I, I just I just love when I can eat these substitute foods, and you know, and I don't have to, but yeah. I notice that I feel better after I eat them than I would <laughs> otherwise. You know, I don't have that big come down crash and right bomb, and you know, yeah. it's that's kind of nice actually. And and I I suppose the same is true with listening to music. When yeah, you know, look at the end of the day. And I think, and I had an argument once with somebody at um, at a music conference, and and he said we were talking about one particular song. And I can't even remember the song. And he goes, "That's a terrible song." I said, "What do you mean by that?" He says, "It's just an awful song. It's just been written badly." Blah blah. I said, "Why? Why do you think?" And it's is very popular at the time. He said, mm. "But according to whose opinion?" Yes, it's mine. I said, yes. "But that doesn't count." I said, it counts for you and you can choose not to listen to it. 
I said, but it doesn't make it bad. It's still art. It could be terrible art. Looks, we've been in plenty of art galleries where we walk around and like groan when we see something and think, surely not that one. (laughs) um, But you know, it's all about, and I think thankfully now we have access our own access we can choose a lot more the music that we consume because we have a lot more access yes we're still force-fed music through radio yes playlisting in terms of spotify apple music and all those sorts of things still force feed us a little bit of what we should be paying attention to right i talk to a lot of young kids um and it sounds awful when i say it that way but you know young music lovers who are finding their thing and it has nothing to do with radio. It has nothing to do with playlisting. They just find music. And yeah. and and that's better than it was where art was kind of forced on you to a certain extent. This is what you should be listening to because it's the only thing we're going to play what you. everybody's listening to. Yeah. And, um, and, and I think, you know, but art is art at the end of the day. And as soon as you start to stifle art, you stifle all of it. And uh, so I, I don't get into that business. I know what I like, and I can, I've certainly said it in the car when I've listened to music when I'm driving my kids to school. And I go, wow, man, I hate that tune. But that's my opinion. That's not yeah. for anybody else to take you know, notice of. I'm, I'm 100% with you on that, right? And that's where I feel like it's, it's up to the listener at the end of the yes. day to, yeah. to decide if it's within their taste within their taste and and you know look we can look at the lyric and the melody and go wow i never would have done that and that isn't a rhyme that's right. not a rhyme at all but well you, know. you you may remember like right like i don't know if you were in the same room with me but no doubt had this conversation right about like amy winehouse rehab right yeah. and i remember where it was when i first heard that song and like it's like holy shit this song's amazing uh-huh. And, but doing a craft conversation about it, it's like, what does this song mean? <laughs> I know. Like, I mean, why is this a hit? It's, you know, is it the lyric? Well, kind of. I think it has everything to do with her. I think it's because that story was everything to her. Yeah. And, uh, and I think you hear it in her voice. I mean, you know, Amy Winehouse is, you know, God rest her soul, man. She she knew how to make a lyric sound believable. Yeah. And it was. It was her life. And and she she was, you know, tragically taken. And I I I, I, I watched that that um, documentary, which I recommend to everybody, is 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 tragic mainly because she lost her life, obviously, to, to you know to addiction, but she there was so much music left to come and I feel cheated by that. That was mm-hmm. just so sad, but you're right. Those that you can dig in on those songs and go, well, you know, this doesn't happen. That doesn't, doesn't care. When you listen to it, you feel something. And she had that voice that you paid attention when she sang that lyric. I believed her. She don't want to go to rehab. I get it. <laughs> you know, I was just having this thought while we were discussing it in this connection doesn't it feel like sometimes that words are really imperfect medium for conveying what we're trying to say? Well, like, of course. I, I, I get that all the time, like being married, like, you know, <laughs> like, okay, let me try to explain to you what I'm thinking and what I'm that, that, thinking. That's so miserably short. <laughs> well, I think because men are two dimensional beings, generally most of the time, <laughs> 
we have we have trouble in, and I, and that's not an excuse by the way gents we should work a lot harder than to, to figure out what to say and when to say but yeah we do make a, a, a real cock up of it a lot of the time but I, I, I absolutely right but thankfully we have melody and I yeah. think the melody is 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 just you know there's uh, you know, I, I teach a lot and and um, there's you know this 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 connection between melody and lyric is so vitally important mm. and, and it get and it's, it's done wrong so many times, but done wrong. And then it's still a massive hit, you know, the, you know, songs that have incredible lyric connected to an incredible melody tend to turn into what we call copyrights, which are those songs that just stand the test of time hmm. or immediately connect to melody. You know, when my daughter listens to a song, she's eight years old. She can sing the melody in a heartbeat. It takes her a while to kind of connect and figure out what the lyrical content is. Mm -hmm. That's not because the lyrics, you can't understand them, but it's just that that's what she instantly gravitates towards. And a lot of people, tend to do that that's how we instantly recognize songs right then we connect to the lyric and then the emotional connection behind it then the empathy of what that person's going through or whatever they're talking about connects to your own life now you have two things that are connecting you to a place in time in your life and a melody that stays in your head and that mm -hmm. that sticks around for a much longer period of time you know right and there's a tonality to it too of course, beyond that like of course. I know what I'm drawn to, and oftentimes it's it's the voice and the expression of the voices as cool. much as the melody. Absolutely. And then the, ironically, then the lyrics last. It's like, oh, now I want to know what the song's about. Sure, and I think you're you're with mo the majority of people. Right? Certainly for for men, men tend to to, to kind of gravitate towards melody. And that's not, it's a generalization. It's not an absolute, obviously. And, uh, and there, you know, girls tend to work far, far more into lyric at some point. Yeah. And I know for me, it's different as a writer than as a listener consumer, but I have to ask this question because I've had it from my audience. Right. Is there a place for people who only write lyrics and like, where should they be looking for role models? And, and mentorship to figure out how to fit in? <laughs> wow, what a question. Um, well, look, there are plenty of mentors out there. We, you just have to read, you know, you, you know um, Jimmy Webb's book, which is fantastic. Mm. Um, obviously, um, uh, you know, even my you know, business partner, songwriter, counts Pam Shane. She's an amazing lyricist, great melody writer, obviously as well. Um, there are amazing lyric writers that have, you know, gone through the decades. A lot of them are, are melody writers as well. Um, and I think you just have to find the people that speak to you in terms of how they use their, their use of language, because everybody has their own vehicle really in terms of how they, they use words, you know, you get you go to Nashville and and you get a, a very different approach to 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 words and and not just because of the subject matter but in terms of how they they storytell and they're the some of the, probably the best storytellers 
the world has ever seen in terms of writers. Mm. Um, and pop writing is slightly, slightly more ambiguous in terms of how we dig into the weeds and how we kind of tell that story. Yeah, you're uh, not required to be literal and no, conversational. No, absolutely. And there doesn't have to be a beginning, middle and an end, really, you know. Um, and then you've got, you know, hip hop and, and, and rap and, and that has its own has its own formula as well and 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 to be honest with you what hip-hop has done for for songwriting in general has been has been fantastic because it's introduced so many different ideas mm. that have now being incorporated into you know just standard pop records really um so i think you've just got to find the people that turn you on um as writers and yeah. uh, you know the Paul Simons of this world, the Carol Kings, you know, the, but they're all great melody writers as well. And then you've got to find your melody person. You know, let, let's face it. You know, the, the traditional boundaries of writers was somebody that sat at the piano and played and sang a melody, and there was your lyricist. You know, your mm -hmm. Sammy Khans and all those kind of guy, kind of people, who just that's all they did. That's they were lyricists. They weren't melody writers, and um, that was fifty percent of the of right. the write in those days. I suppose it would be easier, maybe, to like in Nashville. It's a challenge because you're writing for other people, and they may not be in the room. Like you're yeah. going to pitch an artist. Sure. And what I appreciate about a lot of the work that you do, there's often a purpose. There's often an artist involved. Sure. And I imagine that if I were writing only lyrics and not melody, then I would be wanting to gravitate toward um, artists who you can help them sharpen their words and oh, their ideas and their story. And their you've got to find those partners. And that means a lot of, as you say, speed dating in terms of writing, hmm. finding those people you connect to. Um, a friend of mine, Nittany Lawson, she, she is a predominantly just a lyric writer. And right. He's just spent, you know, a couple of weeks in Nashville just writing a million songs. If anybody writes a lot of songs, it's Nittany. And, and um, yeah. she, she, you know, she's carving her way out by finding those people that she can work with and bring that strength to the, to the party. And you've got to find somebody who's good with melody and, and that could either be, you know, a producer or the singer. And, and, um, and, uh, and then, you know, you find your trusted people and you just then get to work. Right. Now I'm going to mention this and you can verify or not, but so I think I know who you're talking about in terms of Nittany and like the thing I want to call out is there are people that are just open and vulnerable and, and, and willing to show up and right. be a human being. Right. And the trick of getting in the room is often being somebody and showing up and being somebody that others want to have in the room sure and then you know kind of maybe you figure out how it all works in terms yeah. of roles but maybe you're not pitching that hey i'm this kick-ass writer you know but i'm this kick-ass human being who also writes yes and you know what i tell you man it's there's a, there's a whole bunch of that i you know there there is people i've worked with some amazing writers and and sometimes it just doesn't work Mm. You know, personalities get in the way it's just the chemistry is not there and uh and you know i know i've got sessions because you know people feel i bring 
energy into the room and personality, hopefully. And, um, and I think that's a big part of it because you want to work with people that inspire you on all sorts of levels. And, you know, I've worked with people that have got amazing melody chops, great lyric charts. I would never want to go out on a dinner date with them. <laughs> you know, they're just people I wouldn't want to hang out with. And I, I really like hanging out and with people in yeah. the studio. And so you're hitting a nail on the head, man. It's, you know, bring it, bring your A game on that sort of thing, you know, be a nice person and, um, and, yeah. and well, uh, it, people it, will invite it, you in a lot more. Maybe what I'm, Maybe what I'm getting at and just an idea and, and I know it often works in the reverse and, you know, we do the whole trial by fire and we learn our hard lessons, but I feel like this, this foundation of like collaborative creative success is, is the self work. Yeah. Right. And getting that sorted out is, is a legitimate foundation of your business and your craft and your ability to thrive. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, look, there are there are so many obstacles in this life and not just in this business, but all businesses and all facets of life. And you can either make it a slightly easier path by drawing people into your world that will help you survive what you've got to deal with while you're alive mm -hmm. and, and that's by being somebody that's open and generous and 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 generous in spirit i mean and yeah. encouraging and and those are incredible assets for people um i think you know there are plenty of people that their drive is money and success and, and that's absolutely fine but uh, I think this whole idea of driving good karma into the world and trying to be a decent human, I think, is a, is a valuable asset that you should never ignore. And, and I think it, it can help in the writing process in terms of either inspiring the person that you're in the room with or at least giving you... An opportunity to in, to help them formulate ideas and find their way through during a difficult time sometimes it's and it all sounds so processed but it isn't mm -hmm. a lot of the time you know being being you can either fight the world in terms of like fight against it because you think the world owes you something mm. or you you understand what you've got to deal with and you bring a pot, nothing but positive light into it and as much as you possibly can look i'm the first person to cast my head off in a car and get mad at certain things so, but um but generally my mantra is to try and you know to try and bring some light into anybody's life that you know that i ha happen to come into contact with that day and uh, and hopefully that's um that serves me well yeah. and it doesn't it may serve me well in another life or bring me some rewards somewhere down the line who knows that's that's fantastic and maybe a final question here um for people who are listening and maybe they're inspired and and, you know, they've been writing or songwriting and they're just not really sure what to do with it, right? Like, like, how should they be looking to get their, like, their first big break or kind of get on the right path? Right. Good question. Hey, look, you know, you can write all the songs you want. 
And trust me, I did. I spent a lot of time in my bedroom uh, as a kid and as I grew up uh, writing songs and playing them to my parents and my family members and my cousins and everybody thought I was fantastic. Hmm. You can't do anything until you get out into the world and start creating a network for yourself. And that is everything because you could have written the best song that the world has ever heard, but if nobody hears it, it's never going to happen. And if you don't have partners to assist you on that journey, it's still not going to happen. So you have to put yourself out there and build up that network. And you can do it in several different ways as artists. You've got to play live and get out there and kind of cut your chops doing that. Find your partners in this journey. Uh, we're all on different levels of this journey, not levels, but in different parts of the journey. Some seem more successful th than the others, but most of the time we're dealing with the same issues every single day. Mm. Uh, it's trying to come up with an original idea, coming up with an idea that connects. And, um, and then we've put us, I think the ones that are successful tend to be the ones that stay in the game longer, mm. are willing to keep learning and are building out their opportunity to connect when that, that song comes along. Mm. And, and the only way to do that is to get out there. And, and that's, uh, the, you know, the Hawaii Songwriting Festival, that's Durango, um, it's West Coast Songwriters. There's all these events that just, you know, and then, of course, the bigger ones, the ASCAPs, Taxi, Road Rally, all these things. And they've all mm. played a part for me in my journey. You know, my journey wouldn't have been what it is now without the likes of Taxi, Road Rally. It wouldn't be without it, where it is without Durango. Mm -hmm. uh, West Coast Songwriters, all these events, the Hawaii Songwriters Festival, they've all given me massive opportunities that thankfully I've been able to rise to. Mm. And, uh, and if I'd stayed indoors and not got out, those things, that nothing, none of it would have happened. None of the success would have happened. I would have still been writing the songs and the family members would have enjoyed them. So I had to get out there. And, and mm. part of that was moving to LA, to be honest with you. That was one of the biggest moves I had to make. Mm. And, uh, and I had no idea where it was going to go. So I think, you know, hopefully that answers your question. I think you just have to build out that network of people. Right. Well, at some point, and don't go into any of these relationships thinking that these people are going to feed you. They're not, they're not there to feed you. They're there to support you. And at some point, they may feed you. But mm. enjoy their relationship. Enjoy their company. And, uh, and one day, they may pick up the phone and suggest something that might change your life. You know, right. that's, that's happened to me countless, countless times. And, and uh, I'm forever thankful. And that's the reason why I still go to a lot of these events, why I built my own event, the Songwriter Camps thing that I'm doing with Pam. Mm. Those, those are the things that, you know, change everything. You'll learn something, you'll grow, you'll find trusted people that you'll talk to and will be your friends for the rest of your life. You know? Yeah. Um, that's perfect. So if people want to find you online is there a good way for that yes they can you can my website is uh, richardharrismusic.com it's a little outdated i need to get in there and sort that out hmm. um, but they can also check me out on uh, songwritercamps.com which is the um songwriting immersive that i run with my partner uh right uh, writing partner and colleague pam shane who wrote mm -hmm. genie in a bottle and a, a bunch of other massive hits mm. and uh, so they can find us there 
and uh, and you know that they, they, they find me they can always reach out you know great richard harris it's been a pleasure thank you ethan i really appreciate you asking me to do this mate it's, uh, it's always good to talk to you yeah it's been fun I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Fearless Storyteller. As a reminder, any and all links can be found in the show notes. And if you're enjoying this podcast, will you please consider leaving a review? By doing so, you'll be helping new listeners discover The Fearless Storyteller podcast.